Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we've got a new WWE World Heavyweight Champion. We've got a new NXT Women's Champion. The four pillars deliver a classic, and the bloodline has combusted. And that was all in one weekend. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam what a weekend oh my god welcome 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 everybody to a very very special not sam wrestling coming out on memorial day here in the states if you're all uh here stateside happy memorial day shout outs to the troops what a weekend it has been for pro wrestling first of all uh thank you to those of you that have been participating in the Not Sam Wrestling merch sale, if you are listening to this podcast on the day it comes out, then today is the very last day over at NotSamShirts.com. We put up a very special limited edition release of Not Sam Wrestling t-shirts, tank tops, and shorts with the brand new summertime logo, of course, premium garments, premium real screen printed shirts lots of big bright colors it's still available if you're listening to this on monday at notsamshirts.com if you've already gotten your stuff thank you so much so today what a group of of shows to go over so over the weekend we saw WWE, NXT, and AEW all represented on pay-per-view with Night of Champions, Battleground, and Double or Nothing, respectively. So I guess, I don't know, let's start at Battleground, right? Battleground on Sunday night. First of all, shout out to NXT and WWE for keeping me involved this weekend over on Peacock on Saturday, getting to do the Ultimate Night of Champions, which is still available on Peacock, where we piece together uh, a, an Ultimate Fantasy-booked show uh, where champions from all eras would compete for their respective titles. And of course, NXT. So happy to be able to represent Not Sam Wrestling on the NXT Battleground pre-show, getting to break down those matches with Megan Morant and Matt Camp. That was a blast. I believe that's up on the WWE YouTube channel if you'd like to check that out. But Battleground, great show. I love seeing the people show up for NXT ever since 2.0 was launched. Well, you could argue a little bit before 2.0 was launched, but you know, I would say post pandemic NXT is having the toughest time out of all the brands finding their footing and regaining the fan base that they once had. But I feel like with every premium live event, it, the fan base is coming back and coming back doing these live shows uh, only for premium live events but having them done independently on weekends, meaning not piggybacked off of another WWE live show. And I know you'd say, well, what about Night of Champions? It was in a different part of the world. Literally, the world. So there was no piggybacking. Nobody went to Night of Champions and then went to Massachusetts for Battleground. Uh, it was its own night, and, and they've been doing that lately for the premium live events. And look, if you're not watching NXT week to week, do what you gotta do. There's a lot of wrestling on television. But do yourself a favor. You've got a Peacock subscription, I'm sure, or a WWE Network subscription, depending on where you are in the world. Watch these premium live events, especially Battleground. They really are 
doing an incredible job, especially when you take into account that this is not a showcase of the greatest wrestlers from around the world all coming in. They have some of that, right? Dragon Lee's on the show. Noam Dar, of course, speaks for himself. But like, when you look at at some of what we see on this show and realize, like the women's championship match, to me, the women's championship match was the one that really stood out because Tiffany Stratton, who was on this podcast, you know, a week and a half ago or so, uh, just continues to impress. You cannot watch Tiffany Stratton right now and think to yourself, this is anything but the next big women's superstar. She's got the look, she's got the athleticism, and she lives and breathes this character. I don't even know how much of it is a character, to tell you the truth. She was on the show, and it wasn't like, like when MJF was on the show and it's like, okay, we're still getting TV MJF, even though we're getting a real life interview. When I was talking to Tiffany Stratton, I was like, this is, there is no, there is no disconnect here. This is not, this is somebody who's been in wrestling for two years. This is not somebody that grew up with the sport. This is not somebody that was like, okay, one day I'll, I'll, I'll be a wrestler and I'll come up with this amazing character and I'll never break kayfabe and da, da, da. This is somebody that's been doing this for two years. And she's just so... I think the Tiffany Stratton character and the human being are so intertwined that you're getting this amazing mix. But it's, to me, even more impressive that she's able to pull off matches like she was able to pull off uh, with Lyra Valkyria, who obviously deserves a lot of credit for what happened in this match. But when you get in front of whatever it was, 4,000 people, who you're not used to being in front of, by the way. This is only the second time that Tiffany has been in front of an audience even remotely close to that size. Usually she's in front of the... I mean, they're still, you know, wrestling at the Performance Center. She was on the uh, uh, Stand and Deliver premium live event, uh, WrestleMania weekend in the ladder match, but as far as a singles match, as far as a women's championship match, to do it in front of thousands of people for the first time, it's kind of unreal. And I thought it was it was an incredible showing. You had the world title match, of course, with Carmelo Hayes retaining. Uh, but to me, so the two takeaways, the two giant takeaways from this show were the Tiffany Stratton Lyra match and the crowning of Tiffany, which I think was totally the right call. There was a moment where I was like, oh, they're not going to give it to Tiffany Maybe she, they just don't think she's quite ready for it, but it was part of the storytelling, which I love. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, the street fight, the non-sanctioned match, the last man standing match between Ilya Dragunov and Dijak was like, with already high expectations, even better, I think, than... I necessarily knew it would be, and a lot of people did. And that's not to take anything away from what the expectations were. I thought it was going to be great. It was even better. I mean, that moment where Ilya is just like, his arms are are kind of dangling off the ropes, and he's just getting slugged across the abdomen with that kendo stick. And it was one of those where, like, sometimes the kendo stick, the way it, like, hits and it bends or snaps, you're like, oh, there's some give in this thing. Man, that was that that looked and felt and moved like a legit baseball bat type of kendo stick. Just watching the anguish on his face and the NXT Twitter account posted a photo of him after the match with like an ice pack just laying 
on his midsection. I, I thought it was great. Um, you know, and I think Dijak is one of these guys who just has everything. It's just a matter of finding the right scenario to push this guy forward. He's got size. He's got ability. He's got the movement. He has charisma. He's even got, I mean, people like him. It's just a matter of, I think, finding exactly what the right character is and exactly what the right story is. Yeah, and, and they were getting close. They were getting close with this Ilya thing. And I think especially, it wasn't so much the pre-tapes that did it for me, and I would imagine a lot of other people, but definitely for me, it was the physicality that we got in the in the shows leading up to this, specifically in the Go Home show. When you were like, oh, if this is just a taste of what we're gonna get, now I'm excited. The pre-tapes were fine, but it didn't make me go like, oh man, they say they're gonna do bad things to each other. It was like Ilya jumping off the stairs in midair and coming down and just making full contact fist-to-face -face with Dijak. And I went, okay, here we go. If you've got the opportunity, check that match out. At the same time as NXT Battleground was on, on Sunday night, we were treated to an AEW pay-per-view. Double or nothing was on. Uh, and, I mean, it was interesting because I feel like, and you're going to have a lot of differing opinions I think, number one, based on the, on the audience that you have, whether they're pro or anti-AEW, because these days it's very cool to be either completely on one side or completely on the other side. You know, everything WWE sucks, everything AEW does is great, or everything AEW sucks, everything WWE does is great. You're seeing a lot of that. And that's like, I don't know. I don't even know if those are real people that <laughs> are saying those things. It doesn't make any sense. But um, I thought that... You know, the first half of the show, a little bit underwhelming, but the second half of the show, incredible. So I think uh, for me, it really started to pick up. It really picked up when Chris Statlander came out, right? I think that uh, Taya Valkyrie was so good in this match with Jade Cargill that it, it got to the point where when Jade Cargill won, without knowing what was coming next, I was like, I don't know if I buy this. I don't know if I can believe this just because, I mean, Taya Valkyrie came with such blunt force with everything that she did. She was such a powerhouse in this match with Jade Cargill that I was like, oh my God. Like I walked into this going, I don't know if Taya is the right person to end the Jade Cargill streak because Taya is not like an AEW regular. But as I'm watching this match, I go, how can I believe that anybody, let alone Jade Cargill, anybody can stop this steamroller from destroying everything. But Jade Cargill hits her finish, beats Taya. I was like, okay, without realizing, all right, here comes Silver Balls himself. Mark Sterling jumps in the ring, starts bragging about 60 and 0. The open challenge is on the table, and Chris Statlander is back. And I mean, this is one of those things that it tends to be hit and miss across the professional wrestling industry, that when somebody who is beloved by the audience and has momentum goes down with an injury, what you really want to try to do is maintain and capitalize on that momentum, and hopefully there's even more by the time they get back. If they leave and momentum is on their side, hopefully that fan base misses them. 
And so now not only do you have that hunger, if you've kept your audience, you know, these superstars gone for nine months. If you start to lose your audience, then it becomes an issue. But if you keep your audience and that audience still wants this superstar to do what inevitably they were destined to do, they should be even hungrier for that, right? We've seen that go very, very successfully with somebody like Triple H coming back in 2002. We've seen that get flubbed with Seth Rollins after he got injured and then came back as a heel when he should have come back as a babyface. AEW in this instance executed uh, perfectly. Chris Statlander, not only does she come back, but she comes back a bigger star immediately than she left. And it was what woke up that audience. The audience at the show was, I don't know, they seemed a little sleepy for the first part of the show. But when Chris Statlander really won the title, it was like, okay, here we go. Stuff is happening. We got a show. And I don't know if the audience was sleepy because, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it was the stories going in. I don't know if it was just on this night with this crowd. There's a million things that happen. But they woke the hell up when Chris Statlander beat Jade Cargill and became the TBS champion. So, I don't know. Does this play into the dynamite collision separation? Does Chris Statlander now become a big part of Dynamite? And maybe Jade Cargill moves on to Collision? Or, you know, are, are the women going to be separated by the branding of the championship? I can't imagine the TBS championship would ever be defended on Collision on TNT. But I guess we just saw the TBS championship change hands for the first time on pay-per-view. So maybe I shouldn't be so hung up on the branding of the championship. But... I was very happy. I'm a big Chris Statlander fan. Super happy to see her back and super happy to see her brought back in the right way. Now, the trios match was fine, but uh, I think really this was a two-match pay-per-view. The Chris Statlander moment was a moment. And then as far as spending time with this show, I would go back and watch the Chris Statlander moment, but it was a two-match show. Fast forward right to the end. It was the four pillars and it was anarchy in the arena. Now, I'm not surprised about anarchy in the arena. You knew going in that this was going to be awesome. But I think the four pillars match was up in the air for people. There were some people that were gung-ho about this thing and all the way behind it. And there were others that were like, yeah, I, I, don't, even, I don't understand the story. I was one of the people that was like, I don't know. Maybe we'd be better off just doing MJF versus... Darby Allen. And maybe we could still do that. And maybe we end up with, you know, MJF, a, a big part of this story has been, I'm getting bored. I'm getting bored. And he said that as he left the ring with the AEW championship. I'm getting bored. I need some real competition. Adam Cole beat Chris Jericho. So obviously Adam Cole is somebody that could be next in line. But I would absolutely say that the people involved in the Four Pillars match probably have a bone to pick, specifically Darby Allen. There were personal shots thrown in between MJF and Darby Allen. I wouldn't be shocked if MJF, MJF versus Sting at Wembley feels like the way to go. I don't know. I, I don't know how all in and all out is going to work, right? 
I think you have Forbidden Door before that, either at the end of June or July. But I think that I think that Sting versus MJF is something that should happen. I think that it might be a good idea if it's MJF if it's Sting's last match. And if that's the case, I think Wembley is the place to do it. Now look, I mean that's assuming Sting's okay losing in his last match. I don't think Sting should beat MJF. If if Sting wants to leave with a victory, then I'm sure there's another wrestler that he could have a match with or even do like a match between Sting and Darby where it's almost like a Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, WrestleMania 24 type vibe where they both want to win, but they both have this immense respect for each other and love each other. I'm sorry, I love you. You could do that, but I would personally rather see Sting versus MJF. I think the story that you could get with somebody as revered as Sting going one-on-one with MJF is almost too much to pass up on. But I, I think that the match, the, 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 the four pillars match, that was one that I think defied every expectation that anybody had. It went almost a half hour. And it was a roller coaster. Even though, I don't know anybody that went in not thinking MJF was going to win the championship. Everybody thought MJF was going to retain his title in this match. And when you have that many people going in, pretty sure of the result. And that is the result. There's no swerve in the result. All you can do is do a great match that tells a great story. So it keeps people entertained. And that's exactly what they did. I thought uh, everybody had moments to shine. You had storytelling going on all over the place. For whatever reason, there's a mission to turn Sammy Guevara officially babyface. I know they had kind of been doing it leading into this match, but it's like, it's not, part of me thought it might, maybe it's just for this match, but no, it seems like it's like, this is where we're going, uh, which I don't uh, understand. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think you had, uh, of course, the story going on between MJF and Darby Allen specifically, even in the finish with Darby going for that side headlock that he promised in the promo and not getting the victory. And then MJF just being smarter. He, it's another match. He didn't cheat because everybody going in to that triple threat match should have known that there's no disqualifications in a triple threat. So if you might get smacked in the face with a championship title. That's a thing that happens. Or, or a fatal four-way, same rules. So I think that, that all that happened here was MJF proved that he was smarter than Darby Allen. Darby Allen did a coffin drop, which is an extremely risky move. MJF put a title belt down so that Darby Allen hit the title. But the fact that MJF ended with that side headlock takedown and covered him, one, two, three, was like so poetic and definitely left meat on the bone for MJF and Darby Allen going forward, which is where Sting enters in. The Jungle Boy story of, of look, Jungle uh, MJF called out Jungle Boy before the show and said, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the killer instinct. And Jungle Boy had that moment to use the title belt, and he didn't take it. And you go, oh. And now Jungle Boy's got to deal with those ramifications. Sammy Guevara comes out with with Ty Conti, and they announce on the way to the ring via cue cards, almost like it's a viral video, that they're expecting a child. Um which is beautiful. Congratulations to the to the gorgeous couple. You know, may, may your child be a blessed child, and I'm sure that it will be. But there's just something about, for me, and maybe I'm crazy, 
But there's just something about Sammy Guevara that, especially when you see him and Ty together, that like, it's just a natural heel thing. There's no reason to try to make it a baby face. It was the first time I ever saw a baby announcement and went, that dude is a heel. Like the smile, the, hey, everybody be happy for me thing. It felt like a heel thing to do in terms of character, not in real life, not in real life. Don't take this personally. I'm talking in the wrestling show that we're putting on. It felt like, oh, this is a heel, right? That, that's that's wanting everybody to, to share in his joy, which I think is where you should take this Sammy character. If you're going to bring your personal life into wrestling, which you never have to do. I would never tell anybody, if you want to succeed, you have to make your personal life public. If you want to keep your personal life private, keep it private, you know? John Moxley keeps his life private. Brian Danielson was on a reality show and still keeps his life private. There are plenty of people, most people keep their lives private and that's fine. If you make the choice to make your life public, that's fine too. But then you do have to weave it into storytelling. And I almost feel like if I were there, the move to make would be to make, keep Sammy a heel make him a heel, but instead of being this like dastardly, you know, shit heel guy, you, you make him obnoxious. You make him an oversharer. You know, you ever, you ever, you ever interact with somebody like that? Like an oversharer, somebody that just has to post everything on social media, somebody that has to show you every picture of their family on their phone, somebody that that, that has to tell you, like, they they the, the they send you a Christmas card and it's got, like, a six-page newsletter inside letting you know everything that everyone in the family is doing. And this isn't even a relative. This is somebody that you worked with two years ago. You didn't even know they had kids. And now you got a six-page newsletter saying that little Johnny went to Legoland in July. Why would I need to know that little Johnny went to Legoland in July? This is the character that I think... Sammy Guevara should lean into. The, my life is so interesting. I have to share it with you guys. And I don't know, maybe it's just because they're like, they're both like too young and good looking that it's impossible. You know, we talk about Cody, right? We talk about Cody and the fact that he needed adversity. And I stand by that. And we will talk about that when we get there. But it becomes real difficult when you have somebody like Sammy Guevara who is a good-looking kid who has found success at a relatively young age, who is in amazing shape, who has more athleticism than any of us have, that gets to hang out with the coolest people, and his wife is, like, the hottest thing in wrestling. And now they're having a baby who is, of course, going to be the perfect child. It becomes really difficult to make that into a baby face. Who wants to cheer for that? We've never had an oversharer as a heel in wrestling. And all I could think about when he was just one after one moving those cue cards was, yes, yes, this is exactly who this character is. But throw that thing down, flip it, and reverse it. It's not a baby face.
So congratulations to Sammy and his family, and congratulations to MJF on retaining the title. Um, no surprise, anarchy in the arena was awesome. Uh, we all thought it would be awesome. It was awesome. Blackpool Combat Club versus the Elite. Uh, the dramatic moment that Hangman Page takes off the eye patch, the exploding super kick on the bottom of the Spider-Man Jordan 1. Uh, so many great moments throughout this match. The barbed wire draped poker chip. That swing that was on the concourse where I think it was Matt or Nick Jackson's head almost collided with the garbage can. Uh, so many little moments throughout. I still, and he's been doing it since he was in WWE, he may have been doing it before, but I mean, Brian Danielson, when he starts speeding up and running corner to corner and, you know, doing those knees is like, I think my favorite thing in wrestling. It's just the most amazing thing to watch. Um, but the big finish comes, uh, and I, by the way, I don't know what the hell that singer was wearing. I like, so at first I was like, how many times are they going to play Wild Thing? Wild Thing is just on repeat over and over again. And just as it ends, they start up again. It was even getting a pop out of the audience, which I thought was funny that everybody was like cheering when it started again, just because it was so ridiculous. But you go, why are they playing this still? And the answer is play it long enough for it to get obnoxious. Then you get a big pop when the lead singer gets the super kick in his weird face paint slash mask by the Young Bucks. Uh, so, you know, that was great. Um, but of course, the big finish is Don Callis is in the ring. Uh, Takashita uh, comes out as the heel, turns on Kenny Omega. Blackpool Combat Club get the victory. One, two, three. Now, I have no idea why Taz on commentary, and God bless Taz, he's the greatest. But I don't know why he said, and now they're even stronger, the Blackpool Combat Club, because they have Takashita and Don Callis with them. And I was like, that I didn't get that at all. They were specifically separated the whole time. In the ring, there was one line of the Blackpool Combat Club, the four of them, and then behind them, Don Callis and Takashita. At the end of the show, Don Callis and Takashita are on one side of the ring, Blackpool Combat Club are on the other side of the ring. I don't see this as a union. Uh, I see the Blackpool Combat Club is probably going to move on to whatever's next for them. And the elite, Kenny Omega, now have Takashita and Don Callis to deal with. Now, I was surprised that there were people that were going like, oh my God, I can't believe Takashita turned heel. Like, I think we talked about that on the podcast last week, but I don't even watch AEW with the analytical eye that I do Raw and SmackDown, admittedly, by the way, very admittedly. But I was like, yeah, clearly, I mean, what? it's not like Don Callis. Is, is that going to, we're not building a match with Don Callis versus Kenny Omega. Like that's clearly not happening, right? So clearly Don Callis has turned on Kenny Omega for a reason. A month ago, Don Callis came out with Takashita in the ring with the elite. There was a weird tension where the elite weren't sure about Takashita, but Don Callis was pushing him on them. He never really got accepted into the group. Don Callis turns on Kenny Omega. Like, obviously, this is where Takashita gets paid off, right? I, I thought that was very obvious, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just uh, 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 a genius. I don't know. Um, I do think that it's a good move for him. I think that he does have a lot of support with the fan base, uh, but it's a crowded scene in terms of top babyface. 
You know, I mean, like, especially, especially in the elite, if you join the elite, you're not going to be more popular than Kenny. You're not going to be more popular than the hangman. Probably not going to be more popular than the bucks. I mean, they're in a tag team, so it's a little bit different, but it's just not going to happen. Uh, outside of the elite, you're not going to be, you're still not going to be more popular than any of them. You're not going to, you know, you're, you're kind of destined in that position to be at best upper mid card. If you're a heel, you can take the crowd on a journey with you. Because if you're a babyface, like he's been a babyface the whole time, he's lost every match. So it's like, why all of a sudden, if his character's not changing, would he just start winning matches? If the character changes, then you can at least go like, oh, with this new attitude and with Don Callis by his side, now he's able to win matches. That's, you know, it's 101. Uh, and, you know, and, and eventually, you know, I think that, that this can put him in a position where he's got high profile rivalries with people like Kenny Omega. And then when he turns babyface, he turns on Don Callis. That's enough of you, Don Callis. Now he's a major, major babyface as opposed to not. Um, I hope that this is leading to, I mean, I don't know who his partner would be. Look, you could team him with somebody from Blackpool Combat Club and then have them face Abushi and Kenny Omega at Forbidden Door. This feels like there's room for Abushi to come in and help his boys out. But yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see where this one man is able to take on the full group of the elite. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was what I thought of uh double or nothing uh good show uh all in all i mean good show in the sense that those last two matches were good enough to make any pay-per-view into a good show so i i those last two matches are must see uh in my book um and then you had night of champions night of champions very newsworthy show was night of champions of course uh uh Rhea dominating natalia uh gunther proving to the world why he is so freaking good. I mean, that Gunther versus Mustafa Ali match, it was just heartbreaking. And it's and it, and I think it goes even further to the point that I kept reiterating last week as I was reading emails that there is simply no reason to turn Gunther babyface. Don't mess with this character at all. He's like I mean, chef's kiss right now. Perfect as is. Don't touch it. Um, great way, by the way, uh, for Zoe Stark to really start to make that impact on the main roster. You call Zoe Stark up from NXT. I think she's got this entire world of potential. Zoe Stark shows up to NXT, and immediately I'm going, this woman is amazing. In terms of in-ring, in terms of what she does, just, just out of this world, incredible. And then when she turns heel, right before she got called up, she started doing some of that character work, right? Those are those changes, like Austin Theory made that change in NXT, where he was this Austin Theory guy, and it was good, fine, it was good, he was doing everything right, but once he joined The Way, and you saw the entertainer side of him, you were like, oh, he has all the tools in the toolbox. That's how I feel about Zoe Stark. When she turned heel and started doing promos, you realize, oh, she has all the tools in the toolbox. So Zoe Stark... All the way to Saudi Arabia is hiding under the ring uh, in that Trish-Becky match, which is good because you go like, okay, why is Trish coming back? 
ultimately the reason somebody like Trish comes back should be to give somebody the rub. John Cena was talking about it on the show last week, which if you haven't watched or listened to that interview yet, I you're insane. It was maybe the best interview we've done on this show. But uh, he talked about pushing that energy forward. Like that's his role now is to is to is to is to push that energy take his energy what he brings to the table and bring somebody up with him and keep pushing it forward so that they can bring somebody up with them trish doesn't need to do that with becky obviously you know becky beats trish she's still in terms of fame and popularity the biggest female star in the company bar none so the fact that we find out oh Trish is giving the rub to Zoe. Zoe Stark is the one that gets the rub here. I think it's perfect. And I also think that Zoe is going to end up being a great foil to Becky Lynch. That if Becky Lynch is not going to be in world title contention right now, eventually Becky Lynch versus Rhea Ripley is going to be an incredible rivalry. You may even want to save it all the way to WrestleMania because it's like, Superpower of good versus superpower of evil. Rhea Ripley versus Becky Lynch, who is the top star in the industry on the female end of things. Rhea Ripley or Becky Lynch. Rhea's star keeps growing and growing and growing. So it only makes sense to allow it to keep growing so that when you do get to that raging climax, boom, you get the biggest women's match that you could possibly have. Um, In the meantime... If she's not going to be in title contention, Becky just going to need some great stories. And I've been a proponent of this for a long time. Every time somebody says, hey, Sam, don't you think there should be a secondary women's championship? I say, I'm fine with that, but I think there should be more stories that are being told by women in every wrestling company. I think that women's stories should not be, uh, should not need a championship to be told. Men's stories, you have championships or some are just rivalries and it's just as good. We need the same thing going on regularly with female talent. And I think that's what Becky Lynch is providing. And I think it's awesome. Um, I think that, that it's it's a big spot for Zoe Stark. And I think she's going to shine in it. I think she's going to show a lot of people what she's capable of. And I think she's going to make them care. Um, huge shock. Speaking of women on the show, uh, Asuka wins the Raw women's title from Bianca Belair. So Asuka is now the new champion, which is interesting because I guess technically that's going to make Asuka, maybe this is why they haven't switched the titles yet because, you know, Bianca Belair was a SmackDown superstar defending the Raw title. Rhea Ripley, a Raw superstar defending the SmackDown title after the draft. Maybe it was because of the lineage of the title, meaning that, they didn't want Bianca Belair to have X number of days as Raw champion and then a few days as SmackDown champion and then loses the title, right? Now that Asuka is the champion, we can just start a new reign, switch the titles. Rhea Ripley has only had the title since WrestleMania. It's been a month, six weeks, so or I guess two months now. So uh, I think that that's okay. I think that's probably what they'll do. But I thought the, I, I mean, it was a surprise. I think... It is definitely something Bianca needs. I think that Bianca is not dissimilar from the position that Cody was in. I think if Bianca keeps winning all of her matches, where does she go? 
where are we going and how do we keep people interested? I think Bianca is now in a position where not only does she have to fight from underneath, but maybe she has to find a new side of her personality. Maybe she has to get a little bit more aggressive. Maybe we start to dip into what we saw as a heel Bianca in her original run in NXT. Who knows? I don't think she's going to turn heel anytime soon necessarily, but I do think that maybe a little less happy to be there, maybe a little more aggression. Maybe now she does have something to prove because people are like, yeah, no, Asuka's the best. Oh, really? Well, then I've got to prove it. Charlotte's going to be right around the corner now, right? Charlotte's going to be back anytime soon. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. Uh, and then uh, Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. So I loved this match. And if you listen again, you go back to the John Cena interview, one of the things that he said was that Brock Lesnar is a tremendously giving performer. Now, they ran this angle where Cody Rhodes got a broken arm. And, you know, I think some people thought they were trying to redo the Hell in a Cell thing where Cody won, won with a torn peck. And, I mean, that's not at all what they were trying to do. They don't want Cody to lose clean. But if Cody gets another victory over Brock Lesnar, two in a row, number one, hurts Brock. And Brock... There are levels, right? Brock, it doesn't destroy Brock, but it doesn't make him as strong. And number two, it doesn't give us a third match with Brock. So how do you beat Cody and still keep it competitive? How do you beat Cody and have him be somewhat saved? Well, you have him go in there with a broken arm. Okay, that's fine. They also tell a story, right? Because as he's coming to the ring, they say he's got a titanium reinforced cast. I don't even know if that's a real thing. I don't think it probably is. I don't know anybody that's ever had a titanium-enforced cast. But they said Cody did, and I said, okay, that's the story that we're going with. That's the story that we're going with. There have been crazier things in this world of professional wrestling. So you could say, right, that it makes Brock a bad guy that he was trying, that he was, he was, he was specifically going after the wounded arm of Cody. Number one, it wouldn't make him a bad guy because he's a competitor and you should be going after your opponent's weakness. But number two, it really doesn't make him a bad guy because Cody was using his cast to hurt Brock. Cody was using his cast in a standard rule. I guess they called it a fight. Maybe that's how they'll get out of it logically. But for all intents and purposes, it was a standard rules match. Cody was using his cast as a weapon. So if Cody is able to take advantage of the positives of his broken arm, then Brock should in turn morally be able to take advantage of the negatives of Cody's broken arm. And that's exactly uh, what Brock did. Um, you know, Cody trying to get the ropes and everything. I'm really glad Cody lost. We would have been in a lot of trouble had Cody been able to escape it. And I got really scared there. For a second, when Cody was going to town, because Brock sells. This is why I reference Brock being so giving in his matches. Brock sells and he sold that titanium cast like he was trying to get a second mortgage. I mean, all he did was sell. It was like he was trying to get whales to buy water. He was selling. Whatever he had, I'll take 10 because I believed it. 
I mean, every shot, Brock is getting hit. Brock is getting hit. He's thinking, oh, no. Uh, you can see it on his face. He's surprised by it. He's scared. He realizes that maybe he made an error when he broke Cody's arm at all because this has actually proven to be an advantage to the American nightmare. And eventually he gets him in the arm bar. Cody is almost passed out. He wakes up. He's able to escape. I thought that he might have Brock after he like knocked him over and over and over and over and over again with the cast. And then he went for the cover and I went, no, 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 no. Brock kicked out, thank God. When he grabbed the rope, when he got out of the Kimura, I was like, oh no, no, not a big comeback for Cody. And then Cody wins, Cody can't win. He got the comeback, but then when Brock found the Kimura again and pretty quickly after that, Cody Rhodes passed out. I said, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly what should have happened. Cody Rhodes went into battle when he shouldn't have. This is why Triple H was smiling at the end of Monday Night Raw. Because Triple H knew that Cody Rhodes was making a mistake. Triple H is like, yes, if I were in your position when I was a superstar, I would have gone into the match. And yes, I would have lost to Brock Lesnar. And that's what happened to Cody. That's exactly what should have happened to Cody. And it, and, it, and it goes, but Cody has to lose matches. Cody has to make mistakes. Not everything can work out for Cody. If Cody had won the championship at WrestleMania, number one, Brock would not have been able to beat him at Night of Champions because Cody can't win the title at WrestleMania and then lose it six weeks later to Brock Lesnar. Makes no sense. That is how you pump the brakes on everything. So the only thing that's left to do in this story, if Cody had won the championship at WrestleMania, then you would have just had to say, okay, and then what happens? Well, then Brock Lesnar comes out. And then what? Cody beats Brock. And then what? Cody beats this guy. And then what? Cody beats Seth. And then what are we doing? Where are we going with this character? Cody beats everybody. Cool, good idea. Thanks for really thinking that through. And it goes even into the bloodline story that we're talking about. If the bloodline starts disintegrating because Roman lost the title, then the bloodline is disintegrating because they're losing faith in Roman, which is not the story of the bloodline. The story of the bloodline is the story of somebody who has been manipula manipulatively, manipulate, yeah, manipulate, right, manipulatively and step-by-step step, emotionally abusing his own family because of his standing. The bloodline has to disintegrate because the abuse has gotten too much. The abuse stops if Roman's losing. Roman cannot go crazy with power because he's mad that his cousins lose if he has lost as well. That story doesn't work either. This is the way it had to happen. And I, I, I've got a proposal for you on the Cody Rhodes thing. So Seth Rollins won the World Heavyweight Championship from AJ Styles. Uh, or he won the World Heavyweight Championship in the match with AJ Styles. And I think that's great, right? Great match. Set this champion. Top guy. Finally, great. Everybody has been worried that this is going to be looked at as a secondary title. Whether that's 
legit or not, that's up for another discussion. But it does kind of seem like the world heavyweight title came out of nowhere. It's weird that both Raw and SmackDown were involved in the tournament. There's all this stuff that feels like, okay, what are we doing? We haven't even gotten a clear lineage of the championship yet. It's odd. What if the purpose of the World Heavyweight Championship is only to exist for about 10 months? What if the reason that the World Heavyweight Championship is just all of a sudden here and it's simply here because Roman doesn't defend his title, which is what was said in the promo by Triple H, which isn't that great of a reason for a new title. What if it's because this title is only going to be around for 10 months? Here's the story that I see. I don't see the love for Cody dissipating at all. There are some people that have said, well, WrestleMania is going to be in Philadelphia. They're going to boo Cody. No, they're not. Cody doesn't get booed anywhere. Philadelphia booed John Cena. But so did New York. So did Chicago. So did a ton of other cities. Philadelphia booed Roman Reigns. But so did New Jersey. So did a ton of other cities. There hasn't been one city that Cody has gone to in 14 months that haven't gone, whoa, all of them. He's the most over person in the United States as far as baby faces go. He's the most over baby face in Puerto Rico. This is a guy who went to Puerto Rico. Here's, you want to talk about the reaction Philadelphia is going to have. Okay. Bianca Belair got booed in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is not just going with the flow. Bianca Belair got booed in Puerto Rico. You know who didn't get booed in Puerto Rico? Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes didn't get booed in Puerto Rico so much that he was able to headline a show that two matches earlier, Bad Bunny, who's basically the president, had just won a street fight on. Two matches later, Cody is popular enough that he can still go in there and main event as the top babyface. Who is the most over babyface in Saudi Arabia? This is including Sami Zayn speaking their language. This is including Mustafa Ali getting the reaction that he got at the press conference. Cody Rhodes was the guy over there. Cody Rhodes is the guy everywhere. Unless something catastrophic happens, and it could, but as long as Cody doesn't win every single match between now and next year's WrestleMania, Cody Rhodes ain't getting booed in Philadelphia. He's not. There's no evidence that would say that he is. He hasn't gotten booed. What if? What if Seth Rollins holds the World Heavyweight Championship? What if for the next six months, Seth just has incredible World Heavyweight Championship matches? takes on all challengers and they're just amazing. 
right? Just great matches left and right. What if towards the end of the year, maybe the beginning of next year, Seth Rollins has a match with Cody Rhodes. We're finally going to do it. Okay, Cody, you beat me three times a year and a half ago, two years ago almost. Fine. But guess what? I'm a different Seth Rollins now. I'm the world heavyweight champion and I've been so for the last six months. This match ends in controversy. The title, Jack Tunney style, has to be declared vacant. We go back to 1992 rules. This year, the Royal Rumble will determine who is going to be the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Now, doesn't have to be Cody versus Seth. For me, Cody versus Seth is what works the best. But let's say there's interference. Let's say they have a match on Raw. There's interference. Let's say they have a match the next week on Raw. There's interference. Let's say they go to a pay-per-view. There's interference again. The title has to be declared vacant. The title is put on the line in the Royal Rumble. The final two men in the Royal Rumble match are Cody and Seth. Cody wins the Royal Rumble. Next night on Raw, Seth comes out and shakes Cody's hand and says, you're the champ, my friend, but I'm going to be looking for that gold soon. Cody shakes Seth's hand. They give each other a big hug. Cody is over. Now he is the world champion. I don't know who his first challenger is, but he takes on a challenger so that people realize like, okay, he's a fighting champion too. He has a great match. Then Cody later says, hey, you know how I got this title? I won the Royal Rumble. Well, traditionally, the winner of the Royal Rumble gets to challenge the champion at WrestleMania. Roman Reigns, I am so proud to be the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. But my story hasn't ended. I'm here to win the title that my father never won, the WWE Championship. Roman, I won the Royal Rumble, and at WrestleMania 40, I want you. Now the match is announced, WrestleMania 40. It's Roman with the WWE Undisputed Universal Heavyweight Championship versus Cody Rhodes with the World Heavyweight Championship. We have our unification match. We go into WrestleMania going, oh, you know what's going to happen. You know Roman's going to get all the belts. Except he doesn't. WrestleMania 40, the unification match, that's the match that Cody wins. How do you make up for the fact that Cody didn't get the moment you thought he was going to get at 39? You go to the 40th WrestleMania. You put all the gold on the line and you make it truly inarguable. And Cody pins Roman Reigns clean, unifies all the titles and comes out on Raw the next night with one championship belt, declaring himself the new WWE champion. 
I'm just saying, I think it could work. Now, before we get to the emails, there's something even uh, bigger that we haven't discussed yet. And that's how, that's how Night of Champions ended. Night of Champions uh, ended something fierce. The Bloodline story continues. The Bloodline story is the best told story in professional wrestling in the last 20 years, if not more, and continues to be. We have Roman and Solo versus Sammy and KO. And the whole reason this match exists is because Roman wants to spite his cousins. Roman believes that his cousins made a doggy mess on the carpet and Roman is grabbing Jimmy's head and Jay's head and rubbing them in that doggy mess. I'm going to prove to you that I can do what you couldn't do. And that's why he dedicated it to his father's team, the Wild Samoans. Referee goes down in the match. He catches a spear. I love the little things. Roman goes, what was his problem? Roman, of course, blames the referee because he's a narcissist and a toxic person. And the Usos come out. They get involved. Now, as I'm watching, I go, oh, I bet I know what's going to happen here. Clearly, at some point, the bloodline is going to break up, but it's not going to be tonight. I'll bet what's going to happen is the Usos are actually going to help Roman and Solo win the tag team championship. But when they do, all the bloodline get together and they're stronger than ever. So they will break up very quickly after this. But it's like, boom, one more rush of like, yeah, the bloodline is stronger than ever, but the foundation is so broken that this is a, this is a false flag. And that's how the bloodline disintegrates. What I didn't realize was I was going to see the disintegration right in front of my face as they screw up. They super kick solo. Roman goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? He does that condescending shove to the face that he does to Jimmy. What are you, what's your problem? What's your problem? This is my 1,000th day as champion. My 1,000th day as champion. Then he shoves Jay in the face. Jay's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jimmy shows up, super kicks him in the head. And the shot on Jay is just, mwah. Perfect. The shot on Jay, where he's making the exact same face that he made when his best friend, Sami Zayn, turned on Roman. What are you doing? Why did you do that? Except now it's his real brother. Now it's his blood brother. What are you doing, Jimmy? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? And Jimmy goes, we had to do it. And boom, kicks him again. It wasn't just an error in judgment. He cements it with a second super kick that sends Roman to the outside of the ring. Reluctantly, Jay leaves with Jimmy. What are you doing? He's doing the thing where he's got his, his, his head in his hands again. KO and Sami Zayn come in. They're weeks of, of, of mental games have worked. They've torn at the seams of the bloodline. They take out Solo. They get the pin. And on Roman's... 1,000th day as WWE champion, he looks up and sees Sami Zayn 
holding titles over Roman's head that Roman didn't win. I mean, just gorgeous storytelling, every angle. And, and, and it's very odd to me that anybody at this point would be critical of the bloodline story from any, any angle. I mean, one day, 24 hours, and the shot, the, the video of Jay Uso super kicking, I mean, Jimmy Uso super kicking Roman Reigns, 2 million views on YouTube. But even more so, even more than the YouTube views, even more than trending topics on Twitter, even more than us having this dialogue over a podcast. I thought today I should remind you guys what this is all about ultimately, because I was reminded what this is all about. My six-year-old son is watching this show. My six-year-old son has been watching WWE with me for, I mean, he's started to get into it within the last several months and is obsessed with Roman Reigns. There is nobody that he likes like he likes Roman Reigns. John Cena was his favorite wrestler until he realized that John Cena fought Roman Reigns one time. Now he hates John Cena. He hates Sami Zayn. He thought he liked the Usos, but then he watched Night of Champions with me because it was on in the afternoon. This is what he had to say. What did you think of what the Usos did to Roman? I will smack them with the sledgehammer. And what do you think Roman is going to have to do? Because tonight, Roman didn't win, but... He will win some night. And what do you think the Usos are going to have to do? A lot of explaining, and I think Roman's going to have to kick some butt. <laughs> That's it, dude. That's it. Can you hear in his voice the ride that he's on? Can you hear in my voice the ride that I'm on? Can you feel in your heart the ride that you're on? This is the ride that the bloodline is taking us on, baby. And every bit of it is so much fun. Now, where does it all go? Where are we headed with this bloodline story? Now, I, I, there are, are a bunch of different things, right? On one end, I think a lot of people want to see a Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns match. Because... This Jimmy turning on Roman at Night of Champions harkens right back to where we were, what, three years ago almost? Two and a half years ago? When Jey Uso was the one trying to prove that he was able to main event and Jimmy had to come in and save him. No, no, Roman, don't do it, don't do it. Now, Jimmy's the one that is defending Jay, but not defending him by trying to get Roman to stop, defending him by trying to get his own brother to stop, by trying to get his own brother to stick up for himself once again, the way main event Jay Uso once did. But is Jimmy going to side with his brother Jay? I think there's a big opening here for a triple threat, right? Roman versus Jimmy versus Jay. Maybe a SummerSlam triple threat match. Sure. But... Are we leaving money on the table? Because don't we all want to see Solo and Roman versus Jimmy and Jey Uso? Of course we do. I feel like that's the one that you got to start with, right? And then maybe Jay turns on Jimmy, and that, but you want to keep Jay a baby face, right? I still think Solo can't turn until you're ready to turn Roman baby face. I mean, I think a lot of people saw 
either the Usos turning on Roman together or Jay turning on Roman. But the idea that Jimmy would turn on Roman and Jay would be once again stuck in this rock in a hard place. And you've got to understand the PTSD that this Jay Uso must be feeling. The trust issues that this Jay Uso must have. And the, the, the lack of faith in oneself psychologically. Just think about this. Think about as a human being, if every time you made a decision, it turned out to be the wrong one. You'd be like a shaky chihuahua. It's no wonder why, why Jay always has this pained look on his face. He, has no, he doesn't know which way is up anymore. He goes, no, 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 we shouldn't trust Sammy. And Roman goes, of course we should. He's going to win the war games for us. And Jay's like, oh, okay, I guess we should trust Sammy. And Roman's like, I don't know about this, Sammy. And Jay's like, no, I think you were right. We should trust him. No, wrong. Sammy turned on him. Ah, uh, what did you do? What did you do? Don't worry. We're going to beat him. We're going to go to WrestleMania and beat him. We got your back, Roman. No, you're not. You're going to lose to him. Oh, my God. I made the wrong decision again. Okay, this time, uh, 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 Jimmy, let's go out and help uh, Roman. Let's go out and help him. No, Roman didn't want your help. Oh, my God. What did I do now? What did I do now? Jimmy kicks Roman. What? You're going to side with your brother, right? I have no idea who to side with, Jimmy. I have no idea anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm a broken person. This is what Roman Reigns has done. Roman Reigns has given his family the world. He's given his family every opportunity that they could ever ask for. But he's broken them as people. In life, there are people that want to help you succeed because they want to see others do well. And there are people that want to see you succeed to prove how good they are. They are people that want to see you succeed from an altruistic place. And there are people that want to see you succeed from a narcissistic place. The people that want to see you succeed from an altruistic place are the greatest people you can ever know. The people that want to see you succeed from a narcissistic place are some of the most evil people that you will ever encounter in life. These are the people who no matter what you accomplish afterwards will always be looking for a pound of flesh. If people want you to succeed, if a good person helps you succeed, they're not looking for anything in return. Your success is their reward. But if an evil person wants you to succeed, and you do, they will spend their life following you, looking for another pound of flesh. Roman is looking for his pound of flesh. Roman is making it so his entire family can succeed. But they can't take one step without acknowledging their tribal chief. And it does things to people. It makes Sammy finally snap. It makes Jay, his own cousin, say, enough is enough, I'm going to kick you in the face. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy. It makes Jimmy, his own cousin, say, enough is enough, I'm going to kick you in the face. And it's turned Jay into this mess, into this just the charred remains of what was once a strong man. It's an incredible thing to watch unfold. See, we've never had, this is what makes the bloodline so good. We've never had a wrestling storyline that was 
told so intricately that these psychological tools that people use in life were were shown. There's never been a heel that uses things that a narcissistic person does to haunt you in your life, that, that uses debts, but not like financial debts. Debts like, well, you wouldn't be here without me, would you? No, no, sir. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen emotional abuse out of a top guy heel. We haven't seen members of a faction succeed, but at the same time be clearly suffering trauma. And later on in the story, PTSD. Because there's no doubt. You look at Jey Uso's face. Jey Uso is not reacting just to Jimmy kicking Roman. When Jimmy kicks Roman, Jay is reacting to Jimmy kicking Roman. He's reacting to Sammy turning on Roman. He's reacting to Roman turning on him. He's reacting to when he had to fight Roman. He's reacting to all of it. It It's all one thing. It's all one trauma that keeps getting reactivated by his own family. And at some point, something's going to give for Jay Uso. And my six-year-old might not recognize that that's what he's watching, but he's along for this ride the same way I am, the same way you are, and it is a beautiful thing to watch unfold for everybody. The Bloodline story is one that we're going to be talking about for years and years and years and years. I mean, people go, well, why don't we have long-term storytelling anymore? We do. There's Hogan, there's under, there, there's Hogan and Andre, WrestleMania 3. There's Hogan and Macho, WrestleMania 5. There's Undertaker and Kane. There's the bloodline. And it really is that conversation. Let's get to some emails now uh, while we've got some time. NotSamWrestling at gmail.com is the email address. NotSamWrestling at gmail.com. I'm going to start with the top this time. I'm going to start with the emails that were sent today and start to work my way down. Uh, Kyle, Sam, it's official. The bloodline is over. I know you've probably already talked about this, but what do you think is next for Roman? And so, guys, I've told you, don't send emails. That, like, can you imagine I'm doing a podcast today? I'm like, oh, I forgot to mention the freaking bloodline breaking up. Come on. Don't send emails that you know I'm going to talk about anyway. I know you're excited, but come on. James, hey, uh, oh, sorry, Jimmy O. Hey, longtime fan, I don't really have a question. I just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge how good Michael Cole's announcing at the end of Night of Champions was. He said exactly what I was thinking, oh my God. Yeah, here's the thing about Michael Cole. A lot of people are finally smartening up to the fact that Michael Cole is the GOAT at this stuff. Michael Cole's been the greatest play-by-play -play announcer in wrestling for years. And he's getting to show it off a lot more these days, I think, but... He's been in that seat for a very long time. A very long time. Toya, Sam, what's the haps? I know I have heard your thoughts and opinions on Karrion Cross, but how about one of these two ideas? First, what do you think of Karrion Cross winning money in the bank? Mm, I don't know. I feel this could be an incredible opportunity to rebuild him as a major heel. Secondly, if not him and money in the bank, how about teaming him up with Baron Corbin? I wouldn't mind uh, a faction. Yeah, I could see... 
Scarlet leading Corbin and Karrion Cross. I think something's got to give with Corbin. I think if he leaned in more to the dark side, you know, if he leaned in more to the like metal part of him and got serious, I can see Corbin and Cross together. I think if Cross shaved his head again and Corbin was bald and Scarlet was their manager, I could see that as a formidable duo. Uh, might be a little too bloodline, uh, not bloodline, might be a little too Judgment Day-ish, but who knows? Maybe you can set up a feud with the Judgment Day. Adam Gerald, which title, I love this, short and sweet, which title is better, Winged Eagle or Big Eagle? Love Jim and Sam, Winged Eagle. Big Eagle was nice, Winged Eagle all day, er day. Great email. This is crazy. Rob, there's a page-long email from you. This is dumb. Big fan of yours and the pod is awesome. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, I recommend it to all wrestling fans. I've been meaning to write in again, so please excuse the giant email. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Last week's pod with John Cena and the Fast 10 stuff had me thinking about a couple things I'd love to hear your opinion on. I'm a huge HBK fan, and I know that you have mentioned your love for the new generation too. I was wondering what your thoughts on his new generation babyface. It was great. I don't know. Look, I'm not reading all this. Uh... On another note, a couple questions about Fast and the Furious. Do you think they should have Cody? I'm not doing all this. Come on, dude. I appreciate you, uh, uh, Rob. You're a great guy. I think you're the man. Robbie, you're great. That's enough. Uh, let's see. Zach, Sam, uh, I'm one of your weekly listeners. Appreciate you. But uh, anyways, how would you book Austin Theory? And would you still have him... With the titles going into SummerSlam, which one should fight? Uh, Roman Solo or Jimmy? Love your podcast. No, I don't. I don't. Wouldn't have Austin messing around with the bloodline at all, to tell you the truth. Um, Austin Theory's on SmackDown now. I think the next step for Austin Theory would probably be AJ Styles. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, AJ's got the OC with him. So I don't know. If AJ were singles, I would say AJ versus Austin Theory would be the way to go. But he's not. Uh, I'm going to get back to you on that. AJ versus Austin Theory is a great match, but. Ultra Boy, do you think Sami Zayn will still be popular and a main event star and will be world champion in a year or two? It's possible. I don't. It depends on what the world championship looks like, right? I think that Sammy's career changed forever after the Roman story. Uh, I think that he will always be a top name, right? I don't think that's going anywhere. I don't think he'll ever go back down. I just don't think you can. I think the same, like Kevin Owens, after the Stone Cold thing at WrestleMania, he's made forever. I think Sami Zayn is made forever after the Roman thing. Will he be world champion in a year or two? I don't know, man. Like that's, you know, I don't even think that that matters though. I think that's minutia. I think ultimately... Sami Zayn is a made guy. I think that's the question that you're asking, and that's the answer that I'll give you. Yes, he's a made guy. Uh, Daryl says, uh, what's up, Sam? Uh, if, no, not Sam, if that is your real name. Sorry to heal out on the mailbag, but it's time we, okay, stop getting the dated cookie cutter questions, wasting Sam's valuable time. I love this. This is how you turn Roman face, but it does involve him and Solo winning the tag titles, okay? 
Roman and Solo win, and whatever else happens, happens for a couple months. Uh, eventually, uh, Roman begins to lose control over Solo's vicious side. But the beauty of him holding the belts is that it would inevitably lead to Roman and Solo versus the Usos, where we get the official split of the bloodline. Obviously, this is coming in before Saturday. The Usos are laying it in pretty heavy to Roman. Uh, he's starting to claw towards Solo to make the hot tag. Then Solo steps away from the turnbuckle, uh, crosses his arms. Roman looks up aghast. We pause at that scene for all unnecessary production work, blah, blah, blah. Okay. One, two, three, Jey Uso becomes the first person to pin Roman Reigns. So the idea is that, and I don't know if this makes Roman a baby face. Uh, after the match solo alongside his brother's beat up Roman. No, you know, I don't think that, I think that would mean that the bloodline continues as Solo and the Usos are still together, which I don't see that happening. I think when we get Roman versus Solo, the Usos are on to something else. But I don't hate that. I don't hate the idea of Usos versus Roman and Solo and Solo turns on Roman. I don't hate it. You know, I think there's, I think there's room to breathe there. I don't hate it. Uh, Kyle, do you have any information about season two of Not Sam Wrestling on Peacock? I wish I did. I have no information about that. Also, it's been a while. What was your favorite part about Not Sam Mania? Uh, honestly, it's going to sound cheesy, the reception. And when I say the reception, I mean the reception of people had to specific superstars. I think, uh, specifically guys like Dolph, well, Dolph Ziggler to an extent. I think people knew Dolph Ziggler already, but I think like the amount of people I heard saying that they didn't know how great Baron Corbin was. They didn't know how great Santos Escobar was. That's the stuff that I like. Last email. Uh, Hi, Sam. Love the podcast. Was a big WWE fan during the Attitude Era. Fell away in the 2002 mark, uh, but have dived right back in in recent times. So my question is a simple one. How important is the idea of narrative continuity and canon in the world of WWE? Should we treat it as seriously as we do in other entertainment IPs such as Star Wars and Marvel, etc.? Or is it more flexible in the world of pro wrestling? Do storylines that happened years ago really still matter in the current continuity? Or is it just what's happening now that counts? Cheers. Uh, for me, and I think that you know based on how I speak about it, I think that continuity and, and, and narrative is as important in professional wrestling as in any of those IPs. I think that Star Wars and Marvel is the exact right comparison. Too many people make the comparison between uh, pro wrestling and like football, basketball, baseball, stuff like that, where they should be making it between uh, pro wrestling and Star Wars and Marvel and stuff like that. I think that we as fans should be able to have elevated conversations about the narrative journey that these characters are on. This is why I get off on uh, characters that have technically existed throughout. This is why I love Baron Corbin's example, not Sam Mania, talking about how even through all these different personalities, Constable Corbin, bum-ass Corbin, all of them, Corbin was still Corbin. It was all still the same character. Shawn Michaels saying that from kicking from the debut of the Rockers in the WWE until Shawn lost to The Undertaker, it was all the same character. And, and I love that. So, you know, obviously what's happening right now is going to matter more, and... Sometimes, you know, stuff from back in the day will get erased for certain purposes. But no, I think, you know, I think that Roman's history of getting booed, 
I think that Roman's history of not finding himself, I think Roman's history of eventually finding himself is all important and foundational to the narrative of the bloodline. So yeah, I think I think uh, it's a that's a great question. I love that email. I'm glad we're ending on it. And I think that, yeah, that that's all super, super important. If you would like to uh, send us an email, notsamwrestling at gmail.com is the email. Obviously, for whatever reason, I think it's best to read them cold on the air. Uh, but I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. You can, hopefully you're watching this there. All of our podcasts go up. All of our interviews go up over there. So subscribe to that. You can get more content at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, bonus shows, Zooms, etc. cetera. Uh, and then, uh, of course, leave us a rating on Spotify. Hit that five star. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple. Five star review. And we'll see you next week right here on Not Sam Wrestling.